All right, well, I get the pleasure of introducing our guest preacher for today, uh, Aaron Jamison. You want to come on up? The answer is no. No. (laughs) Uh, This is Aaron. If you haven't met him, uh, we've certainly been praying for him as a church for a long time. You remember last year, uh, his family was in Brazil. Uh, Just recently, you got back from Ethiopia. He works with a, um, a group called Training Leaders International. And if you're familiar with uh, the Simeon Trust workshop that we just hosted here, I actually met Aaron several years ago at the Simeon Trust workshop. Uh, Training Leaders International takes the similar kind of concept of expository preaching and and mining the scriptures for the content and preaching from the scriptures, and they take that and train pastors overseas. So Aaron's been with them for a little over four years, and he does that training stateside for pastors here, correct? Yeah. Right. Yep. So uh, that's what he does. We're really happy to, to have him part of our church. We're really thankful for him here and looking forward to hearing the word today. Thanks, Austin. Well, we're continuing our series on gathering, and uh, last week we had gathering to be distinct. Before that, we had gathering to display and enact the gospel through baptism and the Lord's Supper, and today we have, we gather to edify and encourage. So I have the distinct pleasure of hoping to do that this morning through God's Word, and um, I just want to go through four points, so I'll kind of tell you those and then unwrap those like, like presents, if you know what I mean. Uh, so num- point number one is we gather to edify and encourage, one, when we ourselves have received encouragement through Jesus Christ. Then we're going to look at the enemies of encouragement. And thirdly, how to encourage one another properly. And lastly, we want to encourage one another in the gospel rather than in something else. So my question to start off is, when was a time in your life when you were really encouraged by someone else? Maybe it just happened this week. Maybe not. (laughs) Uh, Maybe when you were a youth, uh, a young adult, you realized that the the bar was attainable for the first time. Or you realized you could run a mile. Or maybe you were picked for the team for the first time. That didn't happen to me a lot, so. Um, I do remember one time when I was really encouraged, it wasn't too long ago, I was in between jobs, uh, which is the positive way of saying I was unemployed. <laughs> and uh, and I, was, I was feeling discouraged. Um, I felt like all the training that I had received was, was useless. And I wasn't going to amount to anything. And I remember, I remember repeatedly saying, I just don't have any marketable skills. Kind of like Napoleon Dynamite, who said, nunchuck skills, bow hunting skills, computer hacking skills. Girls only want boyfriends who have great skills. And I had none. (laughs) Or so I thought. Uh, so then a few days went by, and I was at a gathering of some people from church, and I distinctly remember 
one of the older gentlemen walking back with me to my car, and I was kind of telling him my predicament, and I was just feeling discouraged, and out of nowhere, as I was getting into my car, he said, well, Aaron, you definitely have a lot of marketable skills. <laughs> and I thought, wow, okay. That kind of hit me like a gush of fire into a deflated hot air balloon, you know? And I drove home wondering, well, what are those marketable skills? And why don't I see them? Why doesn't anyone else see them? <laughs> uh, my situation had not changed. Still didn't have a job at that point. But God gave me a good word through someone else. God gave me that encouragement. And so today I want to look at benedictions like that, good words from others, and how to give them. Uh, we want to remember, though, that the reason why we gather as a church is to edify and encourage one another in the gospel. So number one, let's go to our, our key text this morning. We're going to jump around a little bit, but we'll start and we'll end in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you'd turn in your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians Chapter 5, we'll start in verse 4. First Thessalonians 5, 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let me start out by saying that this isn't meant to be a surfacey, cheer you up, buck up, you can do it sermon for people who are perhaps grieving a loss or suffering or disillusioned with all the commercialism and gluttony surrounding a holiday that was originally proclaimed as a day to pray and give thanks, but also a day to seek God's mercy with, quote, humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience, unquote, and to lament those who had died in the Civil War. That's from Abraham Lincoln. So for those of you who are weary and heavy laden, welcome. We want you here. Right here. And I hope that this sermon is not merely a how-to or a list of how to encouragement other, encourage others, but is itself an encouragement for you today. One, we ourselves have received encouragement. That's how we are edified 
and how we can encourage one another. You have to first have that which you give to one another, correct? Um, I remember when I was on a mission trip to Romania. It was over 10 years ago. It was with Training Leaders International, in fact. And it was during a church service that we were, we were asking for prayer requests, kind of like here, and hand after hand went up with a common theme. And the, the theme was a request for salvation of a family member. It was a grandma or an aunt, a son, daughter. I realized that that, that wasn't really a common prayer request for me, and nor was it for those around me. Maybe it's different for you, but why didn't we ask for this more, right? Or, or if most everyone is saved, and we don't need that prayer request, which is probably not true, shouldn't we be thanking God for this even more specifically? If most of the people that we know will experience everlasting bliss and comfort, everlasting joy in the presence of their Lord and Savior, and eternity beholding and being transformed by the immeasurable glory and beauty of God, shouldn't that be something we regularly thank God for? Yeah. But it should also be something that we're encouraged by. So, okay, we're going to do something strange. They let me out of the cage this morning. Take a look around. And if you're bold enough, say it to the person next to you. By faith in Jesus Christ, I'll see you in eternity. Wow. Okay, great. Very obedient here. Um, that's, isn't this amazing? And our amazement should grow more and more when we see the nature of the gift of that salvation. It's, it's certainly not a work to be saved. And it's certainly not just an option that we choose from among others. Uh, we didn't arrive on the scene of life nonplussed and say, meh, sure, I'll choose Jesus. So let's, let's figure this out. Let's take a quick detour back to the very beginning, since I have a captive audience, and let's just ask the question, how did we get here? How did we get on this planet? Well, we were created. We know this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And suddenly he, he's speaking into being all that exists, and he speaks and he upholds the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3. He didn't just do that once, but he continually speaks. He continually recreates every moment that we're alive, every moment that we see. But perhaps you might ask, well, why did God create the universe? These are the questions that I wake up asking. He certainly wasn't lonely or lacking anything. Uh, if you know Irenaeus, the second century church father, he said something famously. He said, God created Adam and Eve not because he needed man, but because so that he might have someone upon whom to confer his benefits. Or, in other words, God created us so that he would have someone to give his gifts to. Someone to show his glory. 
We exist because of the love of God and for the love of God. A love shown in all of us, all around us, and for us to reflect to others. Sounds like a good uh, church motto, like experiencing God's love and then extending God's love, right? Uh, But for a deeper dive on this, you could turn to Jonathan Edwards' treatise on the end for which God created the world. Uh, This is deeper than just saying, dude, God made you, so he must love you. (laughs) And, And while that is delightfully true, there's more. God created us and the world around us as a function of his love and glory. He created out of love and to love. It was fitting for an infinite being of love to create the world in order to show his infinite love. And we see this unfolding in his son for his bride. So if your life and all the world around you is a gift, should you get busy writing a thank you note to God? Or perhaps, correct, you have, perhaps you have slid into the default mode of the Christian life as merely service in response to God's grace. It sounds right. Uh, and maybe you're thinking, oh, the worship service. Yeah, well, that means it's where we go to worship as a service back to the God of grace. We're giving our worship back. Maybe that's what you think a worship service is. The only problem with this is it's wrong. (laughs) It's close, but it misses the first step, and it gets all the other steps wrong because of it. So the first step is the enjoyment of God's gifts. And service from default duty can actually become a work that makes you think that you deserve the gift, which is absurd, or that you earned the gift. So, okay, imagine your grandma invites you over the river and through the woods to uh, a family meal, uh, perhaps late in November, and she uh, deep fries a turkey and she makes green bean casserole and mashed potatoes and pumpkin pie and pours the finest wine. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And then you arrive and you look at the feast and you say, can I do the dishes first? And your grandma looks at you and she might be offended or worse. And, <laughs> and what if you even say, well, I, I want to do the dishes so that I don't have to write you a thank you note, so that I can have said that I had a part in all of this. Your grandma would say, no, that's not the purpose of why I'm loving you and inviting you over the river and through the woods to my house. Uh, I want you to enjoy the outpouring of my love. Or maybe your grandma just says it like this, sit down and eat, child. (laughs) Needless to say, God is vastly different from your grandma. But when it comes to our life in Christ, which is also a new creation, a new gift, it isn't different. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Behold, uh, behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, our faith in Christ is a gift. Our eternal life in Christ is a gift. Our love for others is a gift. Our hope in Christ is a gift. The community of saints, the church, is a gift. The Lord's Supper and the baptism sacraments are gifts to us in Christ. It's all gift. God works so that we might rest in him. His eternal Sabbath rest is a gift to us. Remember? It must be received, but it is a gift. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And concerning that Sabbath rest, Jesus said, my father's working until now, and I am working. They're working on the Sabbath. The Father and the Son work for our justification and sanctification so we can rest in him. Isn't that encouraging? And this is our encouragement that we've received in Jesus Christ. This is the well that we draw from when we encourage thirsty souls. We draw from the eternal gift in Christ to give to others and this is the encouragement that we also point to for others. I'll get to that in a moment. But secondly, we edify and encourage one another when we've received encouragement. And secondly, we edify and encourage one another when we know the enemies of encouragement. So what are the enemies of encouragement? Well, I... I'll list three here this morning. There are probably many more. Um, my mother is quite possibly the most positive person I've ever met. <laughs> uh, I think I can count on one hand the times that I've seen her have a down day. And um, I'm pretty sure if she got a flat tire, she would say, well, God must love me so much he's trying to teach me something. <laughs> Uh, it's incredible. Uh, this woman knows how to slay the enemies of encouragement. Or to put it more positively, she knows how to slay discouragement. Sorry, I can't seem to escape the slaying theme here. Um, just remember, someone slew the turkey you ate this week. In, in, uh, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 5, okay? And... I want you to see that Paul is not just saying, don't worry, be happy, never have a down day, turn that frown upside down. No, in fact, if you look at verse 9, he's well aware of the wrath of God. This isn't don't worry, be happy. He says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is cause for worry. There are enemies of encouragement. 
See, Paul is also aware of something that's worse than encouragement or than discouragement. He's aware of false encouragement. Look at verse 5. There are people who say, uh, I'm sorry, look at verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. See, Paul identifies the false encouragement here in the speech of some people. He says, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's supposed to be an encouraging sermon here today. Uh, And I'll tell you why. Because Paul reminds the Thessalonians that they are fully aware. They're not ignorant. And that's the first enemy of encouragement is ignorance. They're not ignorant, so they shouldn't act like it. Some people say there's peace and security, and maybe there is. Maybe there is. Maybe the walls are strong and the stocks are up. Maybe the report cards look good, and the bank accounts do too. But this is only a temporary, ephemeral peace and security. This isn't blood-bought peace or eternal security. And because of that, it will only last briefly until the day of the Lord comes. That day will be the return of Christ Jesus, the judge of the world. That day will be a surprise to those who are in darkness about the judge. And Paul counters by reminding the Thessalonian Christians that they are not in darkness. They are not ignorant of this truth. And they shouldn't live like ignorant people. He says in verse 5 and 6, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So if ignorance is the first enemy of encouragement, a pettiness or a superficial, banal triteness is the second enemy of encouragement. And this underlies the mantra of these false gospel, false peace soothsayers. Now, I'm not suggesting that all Christians need to be extremely serious at all times. And that's not what Paul means in verse 8 when he says to be sober. He doesn't mean somber, but sober. And he's saying that since we know the, the Lord of the day and the day of the Lord, we know about the wrath to come. We ought to be mission-focused and full of joy. In Christ, we are children of light and children of the day of salvation. In fact, Jesus' words echo this, or Paul is echoing Jesus, in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, 25, where he says, the very first thing he says is, see that no one leads you astray. See that no one leads you astray. Jesus warns against foolish ignorance and pettiness and gullibility. He says, rather, be watchful, be ready. Or in Paul's words, be sober. What does he mean? Well, he means 
having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Mission-focused and full of joy. So since you've been given the gift of faith and the gift of God's love and the gift of the hope of salvation, it's all gift, the gift of being saved from God's wrath, how could you run off into trivial pursuits? Instead, embrace the joy of sober living in deep-rooted hope and love. So the first enemy is ignorance, the second enemy is pettiness, and the third enemy of encouragement in the gospel is sin. We all know this, probably. Uh, Living in slothfulness or acedia is a surefire way to become discouraged. And these are enemies of encouragement in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, sin of all kinds tries to steal our joy. It tries to steal from the gift of God in Christ in at least two ways. It either steals from God's gift by trying to make it into a work in which we are a part of it so that we can say that we earned it. Look what I've done for God. Or it tries to detract from the giver himself and to lure us away from the goodness of the gift. Did God really say? In both instances, sin tells us a lie. This is the deceitfulness of sin, and avoiding it is actually a community project. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 3 really quick. You can turn with me if you want. Hebrews chapter 3, we'll look at 12 through 15. Hebrews 3, 12 says, Take care, brothers, that's the community, lest there be in any of you an an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another, that's our word, encourage, Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, for that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So sin's deception leads to hardness of heart. And hardness can lead to apostasy or falling away. Now, how's that theologically possible? I don't know. Let's not try to find out. But the short answer is yes. According to Hebrews, there is a hardness in which we fall away. And how can we combat this? as a community, daily exhorting one another. Well, what should we say? How do we exhort one another? Well, I would say start by what the verse says. To tell people that we have come to share in Christ. And pondering what that means. Start there. Christ is our elder brother and our great high priest. We don't merely share benefits with Christ. We share in him. We actually participate in union with Christ. 
We are united in Christ, in the Messiah. We don't only partake, but we become partakers in Christ. The promises of all of the Old Testament laws are yes and amen in Christ. And for those of us who are in Christ, the fulfillment of the law is yes and amen for us. So if we've received encouragement like this in Christ, and we know the enemies of encouragement, then we can properly encourage one another. So in many ways, it seems that um, Paul's ministry was just a giant ministry of encouragement to the churches. Uh, you know, often there, these were churches that he wrote to that he didn't even plant. We kind of have this idea that Paul was this mega church planter. and Yes, but not every single church was planted by Paul. He was writing to the Romans, a church he'd never met nor planted. So uh, before we, we examine proper encouragement, though, let me take a quick pause here and just examine the words edify and encourage so we know what we're talking about now that we're halfway through. So what is edify? Well, it means to build up, to fortify, to strengthen. And, and our words and our deeds of love should have this goal in mind with one another, never to tear down, never merely to expose or destroy, but to build up in love. Perhaps Ephesians 4.29 comes to mind. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And what about encouragement? Well, encouragement is kind of a word that implies the use of words, right? It's kind of hard to encourage others without talking. Usually it means we have to talk. And for some of us, that's really easy to do. Uh, but so what do we say? And how do we say it? How do we encourage one another? Well, the encourage is a word in the New Testament that is kind of like a large circle that has a lot of meanings in it. And the context helps us to narrow down to what the exact meaning is in that circle. Um, in our text here, 1 Thessalonians 5, that we're looking at mostly, Paul says to encourage one another in verse 11 and build one another up, that's the edify word, just as you are doing. So if they're already doing it, why is he telling them? Um, I'll leave that for later. So encourage means at least four things in the New Testament. Number one, it means to summon to one's aid or to invite or call to one's side. Kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch who encourages, he summons Philip to his side in Acts chapter 8. Or it can also mean to appeal to, to urge, to exhort. Uh, Paul appeals to the Corinthian believers not to suspect him and the other disciples of walking according to the flesh, which would necessitate strong rebuke, but he entreats them by the gentleness and meekness of Christ. The meekness and gentleness of Christ in 2 Corinthians 
chapter 10. So it seems like the apostle here leans heavily into the gentleness theme rather than the strong arm of the law and a firm, harsh tone. Uh, Thirdly, encouragement is the idea of requesting or imploring or entreating, like a, a leper who implores or asks Jesus to make him clean in Mark 1. And lastly, it can also just mean to cheer up, to comfort. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says, if we are comforted, it's the same word, it is for your comfort. In summary, encourage generally means to invite, to urge, to exhort, or cheer up in some way. And the idea kind of has this persuasion about it in all of the meanings. We want to persuade someone, perhaps even God, to come to our aid. Or we want to persuade someone to to cheer up. Uh, Today I just want to focus on the persuasion of continuing to believe and enjoy the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Lastly, we encourage one another in the gospel. So that brings us full circle here to the good news, the gospel. We encourage one another when we encourage one another in the gospel rather than something else. It should be obvious, but we don't always do it. Shouldn't good news be encouraging inherently? Wouldn't it make sense that the best news ever is the most encouraging thing one could ever hear? Yes. And this is why the, I believe in you. You got this. You can do it. And other false gospels uh, fall flat and really don't help us much more than a day. The magic is in you, garbage, is really misery in the end. But the best news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the fact that God made you and sent you his son, Jesus, for your sake to bring you to himself for eternity. This is by faith, which is also a gift from God. This is by grace, the very gift of God himself. Jesus, the Son of God, fulfilled the law on our behalf and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin in order to give us the perfection of his righteousness. Our law-breaking guilt for his law-keeping gift. Our breaking is forgiven and his keeping is given. By his death and resurrection, we die and rise and are seated with him in the heavenly places for all eternity. This is the gospel. So I said earlier that Paul's ministry is kind of like a giant ministry of encouragement to the churches. Um, We see that in Acts in a couple different places where Paul, for example, goes through a riot and post-riot, He encourages the disciples and then says farewell, Acts chapter 20. I don't know about you, but post-riot, I would want to know what that encouragement was. I wish I could have been there. And I think we know. I think we know. 
See, in Acts chapter 9, Luke also records that the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up or edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So what is the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit as we close? Well, in short, it's the gospel. The fear of the Lord leads us to the belief and the reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's something we continue in. And the encouragement of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit himself, actually. Because in John 14, Jesus said, I'm sending you the encourager. It's the same word. The helper. The paraclete. The advocate. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. So what is the encouragement of the Holy Spirit? If it's not merely God himself, it's also the testimony of the Holy Spirit that he testifies in every believer that is truly indwelt by Christ, that he or she is real. The Holy Spirit teaches us and reminds us of Jesus' words, and the Spirit is the peace of Christ. So I'll end with these words from Second Thessalonians or from First Thessalonians chapter two. He says, "We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into His kingdom and glory." God's calling us into His kingdom and His glory. Isn't that encouraging? Let's pray. Father God, even the hope that we have this morning is a gift from you. Even the love that we have for others is a gift from you. Even the faith we have that you truly died for our sins and that we are washed clean. That you are... You are real and you're calling us into your own kingdom and your own glory. We have this faith and we hold it as a gift from you. And I pray that we would encourage others and point others to this gift in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would edify one another when we gather as a church. That we would exhort one another not to fall into the deceitfulness of sin and the enemies of encouragement, but to look to Christ, our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.